having you know written an Ireland book and a Scotland book, it's certainly a question that I get. What what you know, should I go to Ireland or should I go to Scotland? Well, for, obviously you should go to both, but the difference is. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I've got Matt Cermak, our other co-host, with me. Hey, Thank you guys for hopping aboard. Serm, how are we doing today? You feeling doing good? Great. Great episode. What a ride we just had. Woo! I'm enjoying the ride first. What a ride. Guys, in case you're new, thanks for hopping aboard. Our mission on the part train is to help frustrated golfers like you and me enjoy the ride again on and off the course because we believe that if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We've lived it, okay? We know this. Yeah, that's true. We interview PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors like today with Tom Coyne, CEOs, mental coaches, everyday golfers like you and me, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy, help you get out of your own way, shoot your lowest scores, and finally, enjoy the ride. We're all about the mental game. We make the mental game more relatable, more accessible, so that you can shoot lower scores and be a happier human off the course. That's it. Before we get to this episode with New York Times bestselling author and golf legend, Tom yeah. Coyne. The legendary. Uh, we got a quick word from our friends at Roback Performance Apparel. Oh. Guys, we're in the new year, okay? It's the new year, new you. And at the end of the day, if you don't have top performing, stretchy, soft, comfortable clothes, not only to get you up and moving, and get on all your fitness goals that you have for the year. Yes. You want to be warm and comfortable when you play golf. And I feel like right now, sir, yeah, is the perfect time to invest in a Roback Performance Stretch Soft Hoodie and or their Roback Performance Stretch Q-Zips. Yes. Between the hit stick, the barn burner, and the bear crawl with the hoodies? Yeah. Which one do you go with? I mean, it just depends on your color. I right? was debating getting the black, heathered black, or this um, oh. that like cherry. It's almost like a dark cherry. It's a pretty nice color. Yeah. Well, I think these hoodies are definitely great for working out in the LA weather. What is it, 61 right now out there? Because no, it's, it's eight it's, degrees in Chicago. And what I'm actually got my eye on right now for Roback is the shakedown beanie. Oh, they just restocked the them. I mean, we had some great part train beanies too. We'll talk about that yeah. later. The shakedown beanie is great. Sermon's wearing look. a Q-zip right now. That's not going to do it in eight degrees, but you can layer up. That's the beautiful well, thing. Yeah, a few more layers, get the vest, get the hoodie. Yeah. So, yeah, they got these, these hoodies are unbelievable. I mean, I know you're, you know, you're working out in them. You know? <laughs> oh, literally, we wear them. It's the first thing I wear out of the laundry. Guys, here's the deal, okay? There's no better hoodie out there. So use our code, get yourself 15% off. That's actually not a code. I apologize. It's a link. A link. Uh, we have a specific link. It's in our show notes for this episode. It's also always linked in our bio at the part train on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And tap that link. No need to enter a promo code. It automatically shows up in your cart. And look, I, we don't say this enough, sir, but we don't just partner with anyone. We genuinely handpick our partners, because we only want to promote things that we genuinely love. And it's all that I wear. Roback, yeah. everything stays stiff with the collars. Everything is soft and stretchy. And don't you want to wear stuff that you can wear on the couch, that you can wear in a workout, that you can wear on the course, that you can wear in a happy hour? I mean, it's to me, or if to I'm going to spend money on something good or the office, spend it on things you can wear in multiple occasions. 
So you get your money goes farther, you know? Versatility. That's rollback yeah. for you, folks. Yep. All right. We'll use that link, guys. Get yourself 80% off. And thanks to our friends at Roback. Okay. We just rode the train with New York Times bestselling author Tom Coyne wrote A Course Called Scotland, A Course Called Ireland. Recently, his newest book, A Course Called America. This is the guy that played every course throughout America, uh, every course in Ireland, at least the seaside links courses, and um, even wrote a book about an obsessed golfer's quest to play with the pros of trying to go pro. He went from a 15 to a plus one. We talk wow. about what he learned. Um, he got access to everything the pros do, but ironically, sir, the things he learned are very online with the things we talk about in this show. So, um, definitely stay towards the end. We talk about his mental learnings and also, sir, I think there's a lot of learnings about being a writer yeah. and how the average golfer can take a few pages out of his book, you know? Yeah, definitely. He wrote, he wrote his first book at 24, a gentleman's game. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, a lot of good stuff about Ireland and Scotland. You know, this guy's walking around in Ireland, not just walking the course guys, you got to stay and listen to this. It's like yeah. he's walking from course to course. Yeah. All these really cool ideas and concepts to write books and where he gets his inspiration from. Um, he's, he's just kind of an innovator really in the golf author space, you know, and uh, very creative and, um, a lot of good mental game learnings too, which we kind of always love to tie in about his journey. And we'd love to do probably do another episode with him, maybe, you know, to focus on a certain topic or concept because you just such thoughtful responses. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot today. Yeah. I think this interview is not necessarily one of our common ones, but I think it's fun and it's, it's a story, right? It's a lot of fun yeah. stories and it's a, a fun way to start the new year. Um, so we thank Tom for coming on the show and the train. And uh, I think you guys will love this episode. Definitely yeah. go get his books. I'm excited to dive in as well. So thank you guys, as always, for hopping aboard. If we've added any value, as always, if you could give us a, a review at Apple Podcasts, we're seeing them come in. We thank you. They mean a lot. Great Keep reviews. Them coming so that other people can be inspired by your stories. Give us a follow at The Par Train, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We're posting and engaging with you every single day. So keep that coming. Actually, Serm, big news. We just hit 50,000 followers on Instagram. Literally how right far, before the show. How fun is that? Guys, a lot of time and effort has gone into building that community. And I uh, can't thank you enough. It's, it's yeah. super fun to engage with you every day. So um, if you're not following us there, definitely uh, hop aboard the train. Join the movement. And uh, let's, have ourselves, let's have ourselves the best year in 2022 shall we not just us but everyone listening no matter how you're hitting it no matter if you're in ireland and you spent all this money and time planning and maybe you're not hitting it great or maybe you're in scotland or maybe you're across across the coast and you you went to visit a friend and you're not hitting it great what do they got to do sir just to get back to neutral just enjoy the ride enjoy the ride guys take care tom coin New York Times bestselling author, one of our favorite authors. It is my pleasure to welcome you aboard the train. You ever done a podcast on a train before? Evan, I'm so excited. No, I have not done a train podcast. I've done, uh, let's see, the back of a van uh, oh. for the Golfer's Journal. I've, nice. I've 
on a podcast, which sounds kind of weird when you actually say it out loud. But yeah, did you have candy? <laughs> right. <laughs> the um, no no train though, so I'm glad to be on on the par train. It's a good place to be, really, anytime. How do the amenities compare on the train versus the van? Uh, well, it's much more comfortable here. I'll, I'll cool. tell you that much. Good it's much better, that. much better setup, and and my dog's here, which is nice. So all good. Love that. Well, we've got a ton we want to get into, um, but I thought it'd be fun to start off, Tom, with a little travel, because I know clearly you love travel. And, you know, spoiler alert, I'm getting married this year, and I've got a bachelor party to plan. Oh, so congratulations. I figured, thank you. Part yeah. of TomCoin.com <laughs> is helping people design a dream golf trip. Sure. And so, you know, why not get some free advice while I got you on the train? Well, right. you selfish? know, well, <laughs> is that selfish? Tom? No, it's actually smart because you put me on the I will, I will waive my consulting fees. He will bill you later. <laughs> yeah, you can no, bill, me later. bill me later. Right. So I heard of an invoice, right? So here's so, what I'm thinking real quick, Tom. I want to set the scene of like, I've, I've got a pretty big group. I'm finalizing the numbers, but it's probably going to be over 15 guys. Wow. And there's some non golfers. Most people play, but there's some non golfers. So to me, what I was thinking is I want golf to be a part of it, but I want other fun outdoorsy things to do. I'm not really, I don't need a huge bar scene. I don't need a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I just want fun outdoorsy stuff with golf, great golf being a part of it. Wow. All right. Okay. I like it. Um, the golf non-golf combo can be a tricky one. Yeah. Um, do you want to stay domestic? Or are Ideally. you open? Okay. All right. Well, um, I have dabbled with Mexico close to California. Sure. So sure. I guess um, not. <laughs> who doesn't, who hasn't dabbled with Mexico from time to time? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess ideally you'd want a little for the non golfers, maybe some beach action, maybe something, maybe some warmth. Um, so it probably knocks out places like, um, you know some of the places i'd recommend in michigan or like it wouldn't be like a pinehurst trip i don't, I don't imagine if you have a, well, if you I have kinda, some non-golfers yeah i thought about sand valley but i was like as much as i love sand valley one of my favorite places right if i'm I there mean, i'm gonna want to play 36 a day like it'll feel like a waste if i don't yeah and honest and that's why i have a hard time recommending places because when i go um it's 36 wherever you know if i'm going right. somewhere i'm playing 36 holes i'm pretty much going to kind of golf only sometimes typically they'd be golf only resorts here sure. um big cedar lodge is a is a really cool yeah. spot because who doesn't want to go to um missouri on their bachelor party yeah, was, and i'm from st louis so <laughs> now you're <laughs> I oh, played, you are really? okay. <laughs> yeah. and I played at Missouri State, so that was our. So that's actually a there you go. <laughs> so yeah, it seems like it, it's kind of just trying to think of places with great golf and other stuff to do. Um, Big Cedar Lodge is one of those places. It's kind of more of a family spot, though. So yeah. though it's in Branson, so I mean, you know, you can go see your shows, and oh, yeah. um, you know, I know you guys love <laughs> love shows and um, Shepherd, the Dolly Parton of the Hills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that would be big um now let me think what's what's like dude i would head to um i mean go down to gosh florida are, are you thinking i know well are you thinking in the summer or the winter probably summer probably june-ish all right well then you don't want to go to florida yeah 
Sheesh. Colorado. Go to Colorado. Is there something um, there that comes to yeah, there's, comes to yeah, there's all sorts of things you can do in Colorado. Uh no, but in downtown I've been in and around Denver, played some great golf. Um Valley Neals in Colorado, again, pretty golf centric. Yeah. Uh getaway. Um or I might go if they're into outdoorsy stuff, maybe go to like I mean, there's some great golf in and around Bend, Oregon. Um, that is just a cool, beautiful spot. And you know, guys could do you could have a blast and you could play world class golf um in just a, a beautiful laid back awesome does jack place. have a course there tom jack nicholas just jack nicholas yeah, acting like i know him yeah, or, uh, I know yeah there's some, great, there, there's some uh, great horses around there there are uh david mcclay kid has a really good one oh. um one of his early ones and okay. uh which and I, he lives out there because you know people that go to bend they they tend to not leave it's just got everything mm. um great climate great activities all that good stuff so think about that. Um, right. Or go, you know, go do like Sideways, right? Great movie on their bachelor party. They go to wine country. Hmm. So go to go to like Monterey. Go to like San Francisco. Go play Pebble, and then you can go wine tasting and do all that stuff. Lots of lots of fun things okay. to do you in the Bay options. Area. I, yeah, I gave you some options, yeah, but I really, I'm I'm only really good if all if if you don't have a life that I can help you. Like if all you do is <laughs> golf and and really. And you have way too many friends. Okay. Um, well, so if you have fewer friends and only golf, I'm your guy. I, I'm, okay. I'm much. I'm, I can help you out. Well, that's a great segue, Tom, because my follow-up question to that was: first of all, can we agree that St. Andrews is the greatest city in the world? Uh, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely our favorite in the Coin House. Yeah, and I say the Coin House because it is, um. My wife and daughters love it as much as as I do, and they don't golf. So, wow. uh, so that just speaks to how what a great spot it is, how much it has, how much it has going for it. Um, you know, it's 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 pro it's primary. It's first off, it's it's a historical town. You know, the the church and the cathedral, the graveyards, the castle, all that stuff was there before golf. Golf wasn't too long after that. Yeah. Um, but the university's been there for five, six, for a million years as well. Um, so it's a university town. It's a history town. It's a golf town. It's got great food. Um, it's just the right size uh, where it, it's, you know, it still feels small, but you don't have to do the same thing every night. So um, perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Well, I asked that because, you know, for context, I've been there twice, once at the 2010 Open. And then I loved it so much, I planned another trip and I had to go back and play and had one of the best days in my life. Tied my best score that day. It was like a pretty nice. spiritual, magical day. But my fiance is working on getting dual citizenship in Ireland because her mom is Irish and has citizenship. Oh, so funny. now it's like, I want people to understand the biggest difference between, because I've never played in Ireland before, between yeah. Irish and Scottish golf. I think the quote is, what is the quote, Tom? It's like, Scott, the Scottish invented the game, but we made it better or something. Uh, um, yeah, they'll say something, something like that, okay. but it'll be from an Irish person. So yeah, it'll yeah, be from sound, an Irish person. It'll sound funny or it'll have a lilting accent. It'll, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll sound great, even though it really won't make much sense. Like most, like most things Irish people say to you. No. Um, yeah, no, that's it. The comparison's interesting. And having, you know, written an Ireland book and a Scotland book, it's certainly a question that I get what, what, you know, 
should I go to Ireland or should I go to Scotland? Well, for, obviously you should go to both, but the difference is, um, at least in, from a golf perspective, yeah, the Scottish did invent the game. And, and so I think that there is a sort of, um, they approach it with a, a little, you know, it's a, a, perhaps a little more, feels a little more sacred at, at some Scottish clubs. I mean, there is no Irish equivalent to the RNA or to Muirfield, you know, those, those sort of, I mean, maybe Royal County down gets the report rush gets as close as you can, but still um, there's sort of like temples to golf in Scotland. So I say for, for people who are thinking about trips, I mean, if you just want to have fun, for example, if you are going on your bachelor party and mm -hmm. you wanted to go abroad, go to Ireland. Because that's where the fun is, that that the crack, as they call it in Ireland, um, not that crack that uh, the, the just it's just fun, and there's tons of it, and it's everywhere, and the welcome and the treatment and and um, that you get in Ireland is is second to none. Now, the golf though is extraordinary, but it's a little more spread out. So you spend some time on the bus, you move around a little bit. There's longer drives. Um, you know, you can have one central base down in the Southwest and, and still pl and play seven or eight incredible courses, but a Scottish trip, if you're a hardcore golf head, if you're into history, if you're into architecture, I mean, you can stay in one town and play a dozen links, great links courses and never, um, you know, unpack, have to pack your bag up again, which I think is the great thing of a, of a Scottish trip. Mm -hmm. Um, there might be. The Scottish can be, and some of the clubs can feel a little more proper, a little more, a little more British, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that there's a, the temperature can feel a little bit different, uh, but not and and not everywhere either. Um, but I would just say, like the the Irish, it's like it feels like you're immediately like a cousin when you when you show up, um, hmm. and in Scotland that might take a day or two to become to become family uh interesting so but so that's just sort of the, the temperament at least that, I, that that i've noticed in any event um golf is great in both of them the, the links of ireland are really easy to appreciate because the dunes in ireland are just they're just bigger um yeah. for whatever reason so it's just you know you go to ballybunion or tralee or Carn or Enniscrone, and you're just like it's I, I, like someone dropped you on the moon it's extraordinary the the hilly part of the moon i imagine um and and but you go to scotland and some of those great links that you've read about you know the old course is it's pretty flat um yeah. you know your field is, is is pretty flat uh you know so you it'll take a little more might take a little more time or a sort of uh a finer eye to sort of appreciate their their genius and what makes them so special and also having the lens of history to, to appreciate links golf in Scotland where you don't need that in Ireland, where you just, you'll stand on a team and be like, what the hell? Um, but in, in Scotland, it's useful to have some context of about the golf you're playing. So golf, you know, golf heads, Scotland, uh, bachelor party, Ireland. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough for me, Tom, because I've never played in either Scotland or Ireland. I need to get there. Come on, but Matt. I know. <laughs> It's tough to be in these conversations every yeah, year. Yeah, steer the par <laughs> train, cross the cross the pond, man. Maybe the ferry. I wanted to right? go take <laughs> yeah. the train, literally just the train, and go course to course. That would be our dream. We should do that. Well, Tom has actually walked yeah. from course to course, and yeah, Tom, maybe that. that's a, maybe that's a good segue there. You want to, <laughs> as, yeah. as we're talking about Ireland, you know, and 
just uh, you can kind of give a little picture of your journey in the landscape a little bit. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, it's funny looking back. Um, wasn't that long ago, but you know, since then, uh, wife, kids, dog, you know, here. So responsibilities. So to have done that, it was it was actually kind of dangerous. Um, looking back, but I'm glad. Gosh, I'm, I'm glad that I did it in the time of life that I did it. Yeah. So the idea idea was in a course called Ireland um, that I was going to play Ireland as one giant golf course and just go play every links all the way around. Cause if you look at like a golf map of Ireland, it's ringed by, and same for Scotland. Um, but it's, it's ringed by golf holes. Uh, but these links courses sort of going all the way around the circumference. So I thought, all right, I want to play all of them. And if I play Ireland as one giant golf course, then I, I need to walk it because you don't take a golf cart in Ireland. You, or as they call them buggies, um, they're, they, you know, you can find them, keep the, you just keep a couple around for Americans. Um, but you, you walk when you play golf in the British Isles. So, uh, I said, well, I'm going to, I'll have to walk the whole thing as well. And that would mean literally, so with clubs on my back, you know, the next hole might be sometimes the next tee was, you know, 20 yards away. And sometimes it was 20 miles or four days away uh walking so that was kind of like a silly hook to like get the publisher to get into it or see that you know all right i don't want to say gimmick but maybe that was in in some sort of the intention but it became once i started doing it it actually became the most essential part of the book because what it did is it made me stop a lot It, it made me it put a leash on me of 25 like 20 miles a day so that I was stopping and taking, I was stopping in places in Ireland where like the tour buses didn't stop or where you wouldn't like look for a room as a tourist, you know? So I was staying in tiny towns or ending up in like some old lady's extra room upstairs because it's just, I like, couldn't walk any further. And, right. and so that led to sort of adventures and hijinks and me sort of taking Ireland at a pace that wasn't like a tourist. And, um, and so if there's any insights in that book about Ireland, uh, I would owe it to, you know, and useful insights, I would owe it to the fact that I did walk it. Well, and, that, as it was. and as you kind of alluded to earlier, everybody says you know, the locals in Ireland being at the pubs, being at the mm-hmm. inns, that is the magic of it. And then you kind of took it maybe another level. Yeah. That's the thing you come back from your trip and you're like, wow, you know, the golf was great, but the people were greater and the, and the, I had so much fun in the pub. So and I'd known that since, because I'd been going on golf trips to Ireland since um, I think I was about sixteen. Um, if you can't tell, I don't know if folks folks can't see, but I'm of Irish heritage. Uh, I mean, God, you know, give me a shillelagh, and um, I, you, I, uh, I I could be the tallest Notre Dame leprechaun ever. Um, so, you know that part of it the 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 pubs and the people and the bed and breakfast and all that stuff is 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 i think for me what the book is the book's really about the people and the characters that i've met golf is an awesome backdrop to it and some of the places i got to found i got you know you know that i got to play and found along my way um are still very near and dear to my heart and i go back often but yeah, I mean, in the back of the book, I kept track. I kept track of every pub I went into. I rated them all. I think there's like a five hundred. I don't know, like going to four thousand pubs or something. No, like two. It, it's like two hundred something. I think um, over the course of 
the four months I was there. Um, it's a lot of Smittics in Guinness. Yeah. Uh, gosh, it was a lot of everything. And then like stayed in bed and breakfasts and um, a lot of Irish breakfasts. So it was, I was pretty road weary, um, more than golf weary or physically weary at the end. It was just, I'm like weary of sleeping in a different bed every night for four months, but lo and behold, did I, how did I know I would end up making a career out of it and do it, choosing to do it again and again? Tom, I feel like a trap that a lot of us has fallen into, whether it's a golf trip or whether it's just a round you're looking forward to is, you know, we're excited. The anticipation is building. We get there. You might go a long way. You might travel a long way. You might walk a long way and spend a lot of money. And then you get there and you feel like you can't find the club face. I know you've been asked yeah. this before, but I, I think this is one of the more things I want to dig into today because to me, if there's nothing else that we get out of this besides, you know, going and reading your great books and your stories, I want people to understand in the rounds, really every round, but especially the rounds that you put this much planning and time into, I want people to have a tool to enjoy it more because mm -hmm. it's easy to feel let down. It's easy yeah. to shut down when you've had all this anticipation and you're playing your worst round. Um, uh, yeah. I'm sure you've experienced that. Any insights that have kind of helped you come back and be present and try and enjoy all of it? Yeah. I mean, first off is, um, you know, quitting early is, is a good choice when you're near the clubhouse so you can stomp off, uh, just get angry and, and, and get off the golf course as quickly as you can. No, I've seen this happen everywhere, man. As a traveling golfer, it's such a great question and, a, and a, an important point, right? Because, you know, and, and now the, with at coin golf, coingolf.com, everyone, you know, like designing trips for people who are spending money on traveling far mm -hmm. and spending a, a fair amount of money, you know, um, and I've seen it with people who've come, excuse me, to play with me in Scotland, Ireland, wherever. And, you know, I've spent all, all that time they've invested in them. And again, the money they've invested and, and come and, and not been able to, uh, right, play the golf that they've been dreaming of for so long. So I think there's a few things. I mean, one, enjoy the planning. That's where I think the enjoyment has to start. Because I think sometimes the fun of a golf trip, I think probably all the time, um, the fun of the golf trip really begins with imagining it and planning it and putting the pieces together because that you can enjoy that for months and months i mean we have you know some trips coming up this summer and you know i still like to daydream about them or tinker with them or reach out to people and, and play around i mean that's the sort of fun game before the game the trip itself is only going to be a week but the planning process and and, and that was has certainly been true with the books where you know four months of golf in ireland two months in scotland uh, america was quite long but the planning was always longer. Um, and so the, like the Ireland trip, people say, well, it was four months. Well, it was a year and four months because it was a year of planning. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy that planning. I enjoy as, as, as like um, as hectic as, you know, it can really be a, a jigsaw puzzle, but that's fun. I mean, if you don't enjoy that, if that's really like laborious to you, then um, it, you probably shouldn't be doing golf trips because um you know that's 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 part of the fun so I, i'd say first 
enjoy the process as soon as it starts. Uh, don't be in a rush to get there. It'll get there soon enough. Um, and then once once you're there, I think one just practical thing that you can do as if you're on a group trip and you're especially if you're playing links golf. Um, and and I do see this with Americans that go over and they will set and and if you're with your buddies you, you know maybe there's like a week long competition or they're doing some rider cup sort of thing and so people get really invested into how well they're they're playing and are they winning or losing and and how does it look on the sort of score sheet um and that's how they're rating their experience well going into it know that on a, on on links courses if there's any wind at all you're not going to play to your handicap your american right. handicap um you're going to lose golf balls um because just the grass you know off the fairway on most yeah. courses is just you know it's just kind of gone um so prepare mentally for that and and try to try to get in a space where you're okay with that and then if you do play well hey that's great you know you get a winless day at st andrews you can probably go you can have a career around um yeah. no not no not belittling your accomplishment there there was no win so you're right okay. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know, if if the wind and rain is up, you're 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 absolutely you're gonna yeah. you could you know you're gonna shoot. It's not gonna be good. So, so prepare mentally for that. You don't feel like you're not entitled to shoot. You know your whatever you know to your handicap, your typical score, uh, and maybe it happens and maybe it doesn't. But that that idea that I'm trying to sort of let go of score a little bit, I think is. And enjoy the setting, enjoy the people you're with, enjoy your caddy, and enjoy the people, you know, your, your, your comrades you're traveling with, whatever. Um, all of that is, you know, be pre- try to be prepared to, to, to be in that mental space. Something you can do, I think, practically speaking, is just if, if your group wants to play Stableford. So the Irish and Scottish play stable for golf almost exclusively in their competitions especially the Irish. I don't think I've ever played an Irish event that wasn't Stableford. Um, stroke play is like, like if you ask someone how they play in a tournament in Ireland, they'd be like, oh, you know, 32, not bad. You know, they're, they're talking, they're talking, everything's in points. Mm-hmm. Um, they, because there's holes where you're just going to have a 10. It's just going right. to happen. And, and for <laughs> pace of play, no, you know, they also play quickly over there, which I appreciate. So for pace of play, like if you've reached your point max, like if you're not getting any points, you're done. Go. You move on. Yeah. So consider that. Um Americans want to have they want to post a number. And I, I do too. Um, just just because that's how we're how we're raised in the game. Um, you know, you want to know what you you want to have a number to tell everyone I shot X at X course. Uh but well, t- Tom, you, you've talked about the importance of keeping score. I know. know. And sometimes we get into the trap. I'm just going to go not play for score. And you know, is that, (laughs) it's it's, hard for me. Exactly. I'm not someone who can just go out there without a scorecard who doesn't need to, doesn't, you know, I want to post my scores. I want to know where I am because I'm putting time and effort into, I'm always working on something in my game and I want to know where my game is. So yeah, score is uh, it's it's so it's a real like you said it's a tough balance. Um, but if you're on a big group trip and like and you have guys who are struggling, you know it wouldn't it's not a bad idea to suggest hey, let's play stable for today. Um, or 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 maybe you can switch up format to help someone who's struggling on a trip. But I think it's really your 
you know, your mindset and getting to a place where um, I am not entitled to break, even if I usually break 80, I'm not entitled to breaking 80 over here and that's okay. I hope that I do and I'm going to play my damnedest uh, and try and try my is my hardest to get there uh but it's not just because you know you've traveled so far and and put this effort in um i think it comes down to that notion of you know accepting like accepting what the golf course is is going to give you and try to and realize you know it's hard to realize this in the moment it's perspective that you only get afterward but when you go to you know abandoned dunes you're going to remember the views. You're going to remember the travel. You're going to remember the people you're with. You're pro- I, I can't remember any of my scores that I've ever shot at Abandoned Dunes. Um, if I'd had a career around, I would remember that. I would, you know, yes. Um, but otherwise, I can't recall them. But I can recall a lot of things about that, that wonderful place and the wonderful people I've been there with. And that's a sort of perspective that, I, that just comes, that you sort of get after the fact, or it comes with a lot of travel. Um, and I've made that mistake myself. I've been that person who's let like bad golf ruin a great day. We probably all have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can catch it a little more quickly now when I'm doing it. And if I am doing it, I forget about score and I say, I just want to hit. And I should say this on the first tee because it's how I think you should play golf. But I just want to hit good golf shots. And I want to try and I want to try to hit a good golf shot here because I'm capable of hitting a good golf shot and I see the golf shot I want to hit, I'm going to try yeah. to hit it. And if I can execute it, that's fun. And if I can't, well, I'm going to have another chance on the next shot. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break here from one of our brand new sponsors, and then we'll get you right back to the show. You're not going to want to fast forward through this one. Trust me. So I was reflecting the other day, guys. Okay. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be crazy if we all had our own caddies? Not just a caddy at the club you play at or whatever, but literally your own dedicated caddy playing with buddies wherever. Wouldn't it be sweet if we had a caddy that always gave us the perfect yardage for every shot? They factored in the wind. They factored in the elevation. They factored in how cold it was, right? A caddy that kept our stats, that told you that 90% of the time you missed the fairway to the right, right? So maybe that helps you with their alignment off the tee or maybe club selection. Or a caddy that kept track of your scores, right? And told you where your handicap was trending. But also, more importantly, told you where your buddies were shooting that week too. You can kind of compete thanks to your caddy for keeping track of it. Maybe even a caddy who, you know, is great with on course, but also happens to be a swing instructor. And can look at your swing and say, hey, you're getting a little too inside. Let's get you back on plane, right? 18 birdies is basically your own caddy in your pocket. I'm telling you, it's the number one GPS swing analyzer app in the world. And the app is an absolute game changer. They have data that says for premium users, and I'll get you a free trial as being a part train listener. Premium users on the 18 birdies app, on average, shave four shots off their handicap. Four. How crazy is that? I played with it the other day. And, you know, I don't hit the fairway every time. So the yardages, the plays like yardages, it was a game changer. But more importantly, guys, that's all great. Like your game's going to get better. It's guaranteed. It's in the data, right? And I know you guys care about getting better if you listen to this show. And we're working on your mental game. 
the par train for the mental game and the 18 birdies app for on course and stat tracking and swing analyzing, it's pretty much a deadly combo, right? But I think the coolest part and the big reason why I want you to download the 18 birdies app is because I'm starting a private par train group. And look, we get DMs of your scorecards every week. So now it's all going to be in one place. It's going to say who's leading the week in best score, who's leading the week in this stat and this stat, and we got our own little leaderboard, and it's going to be super fun. Okay, so I'm going to get you a free trial of this app, and all you got to do is hit the show notes of this episode and tap the link in those show notes, and that'll take you to download the app and join our group automatically. So it's super easy. It's going to improve your game. We don't just promote anything, right? This is the number one app in the world for this stuff. I come from tech, so I know a good app when I see it. And this is good stuff, guys. So join us on the 18 birdies train. Enter your scores. Improve your game. Shave four shots off your handicap. And let's start challenging each other to get even better in 2022. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the show. Going 30 and there's rain coming you know, sideways at you, you're going to, it's taking two clubs more. <laughs> just, oh my gosh. Absolutely. And if I make a bogey, I make a bogey. I mean, but that's it. It's, it's a, it's a dynamic, right? Yeah, exactly. If you can even get to the place where you're like, I don't, the bogey thing, who cares? I want to be like, you know, my scorecard rather would look like, you know, smiley. If, if I could do it with emojis yeah. instead of with numbers, right? Like right. I hit good golf shots on this hole, smiley face. Uh, I hit bad golf shots, sad face but maybe I still made it four, whatever. Um, and that's, what's, you know, part of the fun of like you, like you say with, you know, the wind and that, et cetera, like playing links golf, why I love, um, the creativity that in, in, inspires and, and requires and requires you to check your, your ego at the door, um, right. and says, okay, you're just on this hole, the way the wind's blowing, you're not making par, but you're going to get the chance to hit some wild golf shots and you're going right. to have to hit like try to hit a five iron 130 yards and you know and you're going to have to hold it against the wind and uh and that's going to be wacky and right. fun and if you can somehow get it anywhere on the green like you like you win and so just staying in that as we always talk about that one shot mindset and just trying to say all right I want to hit a good shot here a good shot here a good shot here um then I think that helps you let go of score a little bit. And then you start to enjoy, you know, process. But you know what, then the problem is <laughs> you do that. Uh, you make, you get on the par train because mm-hmm. you're playing a good mental game and you're on the par train and you know exactly what your score is. And, you, and, by, <laughs> and by the 15th hole, you screw the whole thing up, right? Yeah. Um, because you're doing, you're playing scorecard in your brain. Mm-hmm. That's why this game's insane, man, because I do the same stuff that I've done since I was 12 years old. Um, and I know what I'm doing it and I know where it's going to take me not to where I want to be, but I can't help it. Uh, but that's what's so maddening and beautiful and wonderful about, uh, why, I guess why we keep doing this. Right. But you're so right, Tom. Cause like for me, one story I remember that I wouldn't have had without score is I'm getting on the uh, 17th tee at St. Andrews about to play the, the road hole. And I realize I'm one over. Yeah, man. I've never shot even par in my life and I'm going to have the chance. 18's a birdie hole. Mm-hmm. I just got to par the road hole and I have a chance to shoot even par the first time I ever play St. Andrews 
And then I'm looking at this wall I got to hit over. And I don't know where the fairway is. And I made double, you know? And so, (laughs) but that is a story that I tell to this day that everyone can relate to. And honestly, it probably is a better story than shooting even par at St. Andrews. I mean, I probably love it. But I guess my question, Tom, that I think is really important that I'd love to learn from you is I once heard this author and this writer say that he doesn't know how non-writers deal with adversity. Because to him, when he goes through something in life, his mindset is, ooh, this could be a great story. Hmm. <laughs> right? So he doesn't internalize right. it and take it personally. He uses it as a story. Right. And I think that's such a valuable skill. And it aligns really well with everything we talk about on this show. So curious yeah. if that rings true to you and how you leverage being a writer and also teaching writing. You know, talk about the power of yeah. story, positively and negatively, for life. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I like what um, the author you mentioned is talking about. I, I do teach. I'm actually recently retired from oh, okay. teaching full-time to... Um, work full-time at the golfer's journal shout out the golfer's journal so i got two <laughs> promos in solid love it. um and uh but taught writing for 20 years and i'll and i'll still teach classes here and there as, as, as time goes on but that idea of facing adversity and as a writer having some place to put it is true um and i i wouldn't say it's a um you know that everything that comes up in one's life or, you know, in my life, do I immediately think, um, great, I've got an essay or, you know, I've got a short story. Like I've, I was dealt this, this crappy turn of events, but you know, I'll, I'll turn it into a bestseller. It's not that it's, it's not sort of that linear. Um, and I'm sure it wouldn't have been for, for the writer you're talking about either, but there is this sense that, um, I can, um, the Irish have a saying that, good stories are no good for telling um, or happy stories are no good for telling. Like no one wants to know how great your day was. Um, People want to know about the crap you've dealt with and how you've overcome it. And I think that goes, and that goes back to the, to the origins of storytelling story drama um, drama. It's, it's root comes from the word crisis. So story is literally about crisis. If you don't have a problem, then you don't have a story. You have an anecdote or a tale or you have events. You have a re- you have a telling of events, but a story has to have a problem at its center. So stories were invented to help us learn how to deal with life. And that goes back to like the first time someone scratched drawings on a cave wall. It's, you know, this is like, this is how I got the bear or this is how the bear got me. Uh, suppose if the bear got him, I guess someone else was scratching the story in any yeah. event. Um, but that's how we listen up and your ears perk up when you hear someone talking about the problems that they've dealt with, because in your DNA, you're programmed to learn your, your bot, your, it's an evolutionary thing. I think that, that we learned at some point to say, all right, pay attention and listen to these stories. Cause that's how you survive. That's how you figure out where the food is, how to get where, you know, that's how you get past the pitfalls. That's how this, that, and the other. So there's something in us to need stories and to want stories. And so um i mean that's all like pretty powerful um stuff when you as a story and and that's useful for me as a storyteller because i've always i've 
you know, if you look at the beginning of um, a course called Ireland, the, the word problem is in the first sentence. The first sentence is the dog was going to be a problem. Um, so I start with a problem there. Uh, a course called um, Scotland, I start with uh, the, the bones washing up. Uh, St. Andrew's bones literally like crashed while they were in a boat but they crashed into the side of this Island and it happened to be Scotland and happened to become the town of St. Andrews. So there's a problem there. What do we do? Shipwreck. Um, America. Uh, I start with a bet. Um, so there's anyway, putting your finger on what the problem is in a story is for me, how I know I have a story. Um, and so, yeah, it's pretty essential. So like when you're going through something or something is going on that, um, yeah, that you have some place to put it as as a writer, and I. But I think it doesn't. It goes beyond just the writers, and I think that it speaks to to all of us that that we need some place to put um, the stuff we're that we're dealing with, so that well, one, it loses some of its power. Two, we start to make sense of it. We get perspective on it. Right? You write this stuff out, and it becomes not as big a deal. Uh, as you thought it was yep. and you also have a better i think understanding you can become also smaller which in a, in a in a good way um our problems and our egos and our idea of self um especially i think in, in our in our sort of self-centered culture that we live in now um can feel like they're the whole universe um we actually play a really really tiny part in the universe and our problems are small as well so if we kind of think of ourselves as part of something much much bigger which is what i try to do uh, and being a writer helps me do that by connecting with other people etc and telling their stories sometimes more than my own um you know my little foibles and the and the crap that comes down the pike uh in my life can can seem sort of insignificant and that's useful as well so um you know whether it's everyone whether it's writing in a journal whether it's telling stories to a therapist whether it's telling stories whether you just have a friend that you talk to and, and talk to things talk about uh uh speak to them about things in your life you know that's all storytelling so um yeah it's it's a, it's a good way to uh to deal with stuff i'll personally like bury things and then they'll come out like years later in a book in some way that i probably didn't expect uh it's not it's not a very i, I don't think it's a a clear line how it works um but yeah the bottom line is that if you don't have if if you've never had anything to deal with then you don't have anything to write talked a little bit about your books with ireland and scotland but you you wrote golf's a gentleman's game and the paper tiger and i think we want to touch on that a little bit too and you know, the idea of golf as a gentleman's game, Tom, what does that mean to you? Because it always meant to me that Bobby Jones in the 1925 U.S. Open called a penalty on himself. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a game of integrity. But I think a lot of people think, at least new golfers think, a gentleman's game. It's a snobby, right. stuck-up, exclusive sport. So I just wanted to get your take on what you think for our listeners. Yeah, for sure. So a gentleman's game, um, you know, God, I wrote that I was 24. Um, and it's a novel about a caddy who, so I started in, as a fiction writer, not um, intending to do sort of any, you know, journalism or, or yeah. write these. I've done four nonfiction books now, but um, that book was about a caddy golf prodigy who was, you know, 12, 13 years old learning about the world. 
And so, and it was, I was a caddy, not a golf prodigy, alas. Um, but that's how I learned about the world was, was from the caddy's point of view. And so in that sense, a gentleman, it's, it's sort of, um, a pl- in that title, I'm, I'm playing on the word gentleman to, um, challenge it as, is this really, are these people in the story re- really gentlemen and who are the gentlemen? So, right. There's this expectation of it's, it's a gentleman's game. It's sort of this lofty, um, game of decorum and etiquette. And it is all those things. But in that story, I was kind of interested in like how that's very much on the surface and underneath it, not everything is so great. Um, and that in, in that story, I think the actual gentlemen turn out to be the caddies. It's sort of like an upstairs, downstairs stories, like up, up story sure. upstairs, you have the members and you have all that, like, yes, Harold, how was your day kind of thing. And, and downstairs <laughs> it's, it's a really, it's really raw life mm-hmm. that this kid is, is watching. Um, and he's seeing people sort of living like from meal to meal and loop to loop and is getting a perspective on sort of how things really are. And, uh, and, and in the, in the end, to me, those, those folks be, are, they show true class, um, versus some of the phonies upstairs who become the sort of villains in that story. So it kind of flips. So in in that sense, yeah. So in that type the sense, I'm actually, that game's pretty critical. I mean, sort of that book is, is actually pretty critical of the, of golf institutions. Um, I was 20 and angry at the world. No, um, I, it, it has a, it has a little bite in it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's a class story. It's a race story. Like there's a, there's stuff in there. Um, that's, uh, it's got some meat on the bone. Um, not that I've softened in my later years, but now, you know, I do belong to a country club and sure. bounce around in that world and, uh, and try not to be one of those, those, those phony gentlemen. Um, so, but I think, now that term is uh thankfully outdated i think that the the sentiment behind it um is is fine because it's it's suggesting that uh this game is should be played with with um i guess you know class and and respect integrity integrity and i all those things a hundred thousand percent absolutely um but it's not the gender is it is it is not one gender's game it is not one class's game it is um it's been wonderful in my lifetime to see the transformation still has plenty of room to go you know plenty of place distance to go is is in in that direction but to see how things have changed from say golf you know um in the 80s the tiger effect changing so many things um and now to where you know golf um it can feel thanks to sort of new media like podcasts and the consumption on, online of golf and uh, a lot of different things it just made golf a little bit cooler and i think it's gotten younger yeah. it's gotten more open totally. and like i said long way to go but we're going in the right direction well tom i think a lot of people have probably said to themselves at some point like if okay if i had all the time in the world and all i did was focus on golf maybe i could go pro Right. And I think Paper Tiger is another great book you've written. And look, this show is using your mind to get out of your own way and ultimately be a better golfer and human. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we can't let you go today without talking about Paper Tiger 
and what helped you in your mind? I'm sure it was many things, but was there something that stuck out to you that helped you go from a 15 to a plus when you focused on trying to go pro? Mm -hmm. Um, what stands out? Yeah. Uh, thanks. Paper tiger, man, that was a good life. Uh, I mean the, the immediate thing that's that the the reason, the reason I got, uh, better, I played 542 days in a row. So that, that if if you don't get better, yeah. Uh, every single day, if you don't get better doing that, you stink. Um, you should quit. Yeah. Uh, Wake up. You should get into tennis (laughs) or something else there or, uh, stick to Mario golf or whatever. But, um, yeah, I could, so I couldn't help, but get my handicap down, um, in some respects, but yeah. So paper tiger is about living that dream. If you could just play every day, that, that golf fantasy that so many of us have, you know, if we didn't have any of the other things in our life that those pesky things like jobs and families that hold us back from being our, the true golf, great, the great golfer that we're meant to be, damn it. So I said, well, I'll go out and do it so that everyone can keep their jobs and family and, uh, and see what it's like. So yeah, move to Florida, coach, uh, shrink trainer, dietitian, equipment sponsors. I mean, I had everything the pros have and uh to see how good i could get and right like you said i mean i got down to like a plus one and went and played um competitively in q schools around the world and um you realize in that environment that at plus one you're the worst golfer any of those people have ever even met um so uh you learn that pretty quickly but um you can all you all look the same on the range but then when it comes to uh to getting up and down from everywhere um sometimes things get exposed but the mental part of the game, I think, was definitely a few things had the biggest impact on my handicap. Uh, I had great instruction from Dr. Jim Study. Um, he's a great, great coach and works with a lot of people on tour and all that. And tremendous person. That helped. I got in great shape. That helped a lot. I've, I've never been in better shape. And I need every year my season. Every like, and we just, you know, had the passing of the year and every year my resolution is to get back into really good golf shape and somehow life gets in the way. But, um, I was in great shape then. And I, and the diff and what that just people say like, well, what does fitness really have to do with golf? For me, it just simply meant I've, I've felt like incredibly steady over the golf ball, mm-hmm. um, at every part of my swing. Like I, I, interesting. I, I didn't, you know, there were when I started working with doc, there were things he wanted me to do that my body was not capable of doing. Um, and then once I got strong and stretched out and really strong in the middle of my body, my core, as they say, I could do the things he wanted me to do. So that was, that made a huge difference, but the mental game, it's a long way getting to what you asked, uh, is the thing that continues to have the biggest impact, uh, on my game. And the thing that, um, that I can still practice the most and still take with me the most, uh, from paper tiger. And I, I worked with a great mental coach, Dr. Bob winners and, um, and you know, his methods and ideas are, are, are similar to the things that, you know, you read in the Rotella books and, and that are, are sort of known now and accepted. Um, it's great to hear them on the golf course. It's great to learn them from somebody when you're playing alongside them. It's great to put them into practice. And those things are that one shot mindset, that forgetting the last shot, um, staying committed, getting into a pre-shot routine. You know, we would go around the golf course and we wouldn't keep actual score with numbers. We would keep score on how committed I was to the shot, like how mm. the, I knew the shot that I wanted to hit. I didn't waver on it. Um, it didn't matter at the end, we didn't care where it went or what happened. Like, but how was my, 
my my state of mind around that golf shot. Um, and usually if it was a good state of mind, it ended up being a pretty decent golf shot. So mm-hmm. that's where that idea of that we were talking about earlier um, of getting into, into really into process and enjoying the process more than the results. And, and I think that that's something that has, has helped me beyond golf has helped me in my life is to get to a place where I understand that, the, and it's this idea of acceptance and, and acceptance doesn't mean to me that I just wake up in the morning and I accept that, you know what? Um, I, the world is going to do what it's going to do today. So it doesn't need me. Um, I'll just chill out here on the couch and accept whatever happens and I'll just do nothing. That's not what I mean by like surrender and acceptance. What that, what what it really means to me is like, I'm responsible for all the effort, for the preparation, for the process, for the work. That's my part. Now, everything that comes after that is not my part. I've got to, you know, that, that, that's belongs to the universe to whatever, to the, whatever you believe in or whatever is out there that's bigger than you results, we can't control, but process effort, everything up until that ball leaves the club face, I can control and everything in my life that, um, has to do with, you know, the effort and, you know, on a book I I can, when I'm, when I'm writing a story and writing a book, I'm in control of it and I can do everything. I can put all the effort into it. But when I hit send and it goes off out into the world, I'm not, I can't control how people, if people are going to like it or not. And that is, um, that helps you sleep at night. Well, I, t- Tom, I'm curious, just in that 542 days, what did you learn about practice? Because you're trying to be a tour player. Yeah. Most golfers don't know how to practice. And even the best players are always fine tuning their practice and oftentimes don't have good practice days. Curious to kind of get your thoughts there. You're talking about practice. Um, practice, real game. Philly got out. I'm even Philly talking guy. about the game. I set that up. Yeah, <laughs> up Sixers. Um, so I learned to really love practice. Um, because I was all, and the way I think to enjoy practice is to make sure that you are working on something specific, and that's and because I was work with Doc Suddy every week, I would have a list of things that I was trying to accomplish in a golf swing. And, and I mean, it was usually one per week, but there was always it's like, I was never just getting up there and, and whacking balls. And which I think is a, a waste of time, unless you're just trying to get loose before you're going out and you just, Hey, let me just get 10 swings in before. So I don't want my first swing to be on the first tee, which is fine. Um, you know, practicing with some clear thing you're trying to accomplish, whether it be in your swing, a distance you're trying to master, a ball flight you're trying to master, whatever. So just practicing with purpose. And then I think practice becomes fun because it becomes competitive, right? Mm-hmm. You're being competitive with yourself. Yeah. And that's when I start to, that's when I can really enjoy it. But I don't, and I can't get there unless I'm taking lessons. So, you know, another shout out to your PGA professional. Um, you know, I still work with um, some, uh, you know, I work with guys in the section, the pro at my club, and uh, I need them to look at what I'm doing. Now, when they tell me, because I've been doing this for a while and my, my flaws are the same as they were when I was doing Paper Tiger, when they say, oh, you know, you're early extending, it's like, ah, thank you. Now I can work on that. I don't need three lessons to explain that to me because sure. I know I've done it since I was a kid. Um, but I need someone to tell me that, maybe give me a new drill to 
trying to f- conquer that. And, and then I'm on my way and then I'm enjoying practice because I'm actually feel like I'm making progress versus um, just the indiscriminate whacking of balls. So Being practice balls. with purpose. And, and then also, you know, everybody says, well, the short game's where it's at. Um, I think uh, we don't spend an, and, and, and it's just obvious advice, but um, practice wise, I don't spend enough time. Um, probably none of us do just playing with our wedges. So um, that's uh, when I'm playing well, I'm probably um, leaving time. I'm, I'm probably practicing with my wedges a lot, going to the short game area, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but it's not as fun as hauling off and <laughs> trying to hit it far. So yeah. it's tough. Well, two more questions and we'll let you go. One thing it, to me, it sounds like Tom is, you know, you're on this journey to become a pro, just finishing our thought with Paper Tiger. And with becoming a pro, results are everything. But I think mm-hmm. what you're saying is you realized that um, trying to control the results you knew wouldn't help you get there. So at a certain I, point, yeah. you put in the work and then you let it fly. That's where I got probably yeah. 10 years after writing the book. To be honest, or maybe 20 years after writing the book, because it's hard to put that into into practice. It's hard to not demand results, especially when you're so I mean, there's no greater educator than than time. You know, there's no greater. It's like, um, which for young lads like yourself might be might be disappointing, but it's through like living the experiences and having the hard proof that I finally can prove to myself that, okay, this is the best way to play and this is the best way to live. But when I was, you know, I was pretty damn sure in, you know, at age in my twenties with all this great instruction um, and having the fit and saying I had the physical ability to do it, you know, that I should be playing. I should have this score. I should be able to do this in golf, et cetera. Um, and as a result of not being able to accept whatever the results may be, I mean, I, you know, you get angry, you get frustrated, you, you want to quit, uh, you make you three putt and you back it up with a triple, um, you know, you go down those rabbit holes, um, which I really, and if you read Paper Tiger, I fell down a lot of them. They were very hard to avoid because it's one thing to say all this and then it's another thing to put it into practice uh, on a golf course. And I think for me, um, the only way I, there's different ways to, I think, get there. I think one, either that's your, either your natural mental inclination, um, or two, you're just so damn good. It doesn't matter. Um, which is, I think where we get elite, elite golfers. Um, uh, sometimes, um, people literally have a very short attention span and are aided by that. I'm, I'm kind of in the business of having a long attention span. And that's not always the best for golf. Remembering every detail is great when you're a writer. It sucks when you're trying to shoot a good score. And you've even had people say <laughs> that, you know, ADHD is a great, um, you know, that there's a lot of undiagnosed ADHD on the tour. You know, I, I've heard that in the stories. And that makes sense because there's that like intense focus and then forgetting. Sure. And, sure. you know, sure. and, and that makes yeah. perfect sense. And there's yeah. genius in it. So in any event, um, it's a great perspective, but it's one that I've had to have shoved down my throat throat and proven to me 
um, by life. And, uh, and that's all right. Yeah. Love it. Well, last question. This is another selfish one. So I'm going to bookend that's our interview right. with Here two selfish go, questions. Yeah, man. Um, as someone who wants to write a golf book one day, one piece of advice from the great Tom. Ah, no, the, great... <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, Le the legendary. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, keeping up that flattery will help that, that that's a good start. Um, flattering your elders. Uh, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, no. Um, well, I think the obvious and easy advice is sit down and do it. Um, I hear I do get email from time to time from folks. So here's my idea for a book or I want to write this book or what should I do? Um, and the percentage of people who actually sit down and actually do it is, is very, very, very small because um, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. Yep. Um, obviously those, you know, these are obvious things, but there have been people who have gone out, um, and, and written that book, uh, that they always wanted to write some have self-published them, um, or, or selling them to like smaller, you know, a lot of sometimes golf books don't, aren't, don't have sort of a mass market appeal. They can be mm -hmm. just for fans of Seth Rain or whatever, but we live in a world where that doesn't matter because now you can find those people and you can get a book to them digitally or whatever. Yeah. Um, that so whatever your idea is if there's you can probably find someone who's interested in it so sit down and write the damn thing and then understand that um your first draft is going to suck uh your second draft is going to be still pretty bad uh your third draft you might sort of see the light of day and uh or the end of the light at the end of the tunnel and uh and it's so what i'm saying it's a process of of revision and it's a process of keeping at it. Um, it's a very intimidating thing to stare at a blank page and think, and, and it still is very intimidating to me and think, oh my gosh, this has to be good. Or, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, people are going to see this. Yeah. Um, if I have that in my head, I, I can't write a word. So giving yourself the freedom to suck is pretty essential. Uh, it's probably essential with most things in life. Yeah. If you give yourself that freedom, you're probably going to, well, one, you're going to not suck. And two, you're going to start to get some stuff out and you're going to write without pressure and you're going to write, you know, and you're going to have something to work with. And then, and then once you have something to work with, then you do the work, you know, in the last couple of books, having Instagram was, I was able to, people are like, what, you know, I have a notebook and a journal and all that stuff, but man, I could just kind of go through my Instagram feeds and remember what the, yeah. <laughs> what I did, yeah. um, which is interesting. So, but you know, in writing a book, just remember one thing, like if you can't explain it to somebody in um, probably less than a minute, um, maybe tighten, think, keep thinking about it. Right. Um, if you don't know what your book is, is about, uh, because I'll get that a lot too. Like I want to write a book about the impact golf has had on my life. And it's like, cool, man. Um, that's big. Like, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what that, how you're going to do that. that. Yeah. Right. What's the story? I mean, yeah. story boils down to simple things. Story is about a hero. Is the hero you? Fine. Trying to overcome something. Okay. What are they trying to overcome? And do they get there or not? That's all it is. That's what stories yeah. are. And until you can yeah. articulate that, um, you keep thinking. Because yeah. if you don't have it, if you don't have that idea in your head that I, I'd say that's like the spine of the story that you put on a sticky note and you put on your laptop as you work. And remember, that's what your, your book is about. If you don't have that, 
your book is gonna wander all over on you mm. and then you're gonna quit so got it there That's you go great advice Le- and legendary I think, and i think for everyone i mean that also applies off the first tee or any tee or any yeah. shot right if you're yeah, man. trying not to fail probably gonna fail so giving yourself the freedom to take your best shot and go get the ball wherever it is and do your best from there well Damn right. tom guys if you aren't following Tom, follow him at Coin Rider. Instagram and Twitter, I think, are the probably the two best places. TomCoin.com. Obviously, your new book, a course called America. We didn't. Even, I feel like we could do a whole. We could do whole podcasts on each book if we episode. wanted. Um, yeah, indeed. Well, everyone, go out and read it. Yeah. Um, well, buy it first. I don't care if you. I don't really care if you read it, but just, <laughs> just get it. Just get the book. Um, no, no, no. Sir. If if everyone go out and read it, and make, and we'll come back and do another. Yeah, so a course, course called America, a course called Ireland and Scotland, Paper Tiger. We've talked about a lot of them, but um, yeah, Tom, I think there's uh, – I'll end with this, Tom. I think we share the same goal where I heard you say this once, and I think the same applies for us. If people say to you that it wasn't, it was more than a golf book, hmm. I think that's a success, and I yeah. think that's what we feel about this podcast. And so um, keep doing what you're doing – we, we love your work and we think that the meaning and the purpose and the learnings go a lot more than just playing better golf on the golf course. So thank you for that. Well said. Thanks, guys. I, I yeah. love what you're doing and I, I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Tom. Take care, Tom. <laughs>